Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure and privilege to welcome you to the program. Please stay with us for this hour as we are going to open the Bible and learn a bit more from the book of Ephesians. So far, we went through a few studies in regard to, to this wonderful letter from Paul. Uh, we talked uh, last uh, week about uh, the power of the exalted Jesus. But today we are going to look a little bit more into how God rescues us. My dear friend, you know that you can be part of this discussion. If you like to send us a text message to 0482098883. Please don't hesitate to send us a text message with a thought, a comment, uh, maybe a prayer request. Let us know where you're listening from and uh, we'll share that. Uh, I'd like to say hello to our panel today and it's good to have with us uh, Ken. Thank you, Nick. Wonderful to be here today. Joe, it's good to have you uh, part of this too. Thank you, Nick. It's always a privilege. Len, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hello, listeners. Hi, Lydia. It's good to have you with us today too. Yeah, I feel very blessed. Praise the Lord. Brenton, thank you for joining. Nick, it uh, is a privilege, but uh, this is an exciting topic, how God rescues us, and I'm sure we're all going to be blessed as we study it together. Yoshi. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. It's it's my pleasure. Um, you guys have a wonderful panel. I guess I'm a bit of a guest today, but I'm privileged to join you and our Faith FM listeners uh, on this journey through Ephesians. Wonderful. Will, thank you so much for um, putting together this uh, study. You are going to facilitate this discussion. And uh, welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. As Brenton said, it's such a thrilling subject. I don't think we'll ever exhaust it. Mm. But uh, the panel, I'm sure, will enjoy talking together. And I hope that the listener is blessed by the wonderful love of Jesus for us all. Yes, indeed. And again, my dear friend listening today, uh, the number where you can send us a text message to be part of this program, it's 0482098883. Please have this uh, number um, saved there on your device or write it down because we are going to come uh, to you a little bit later with the offer which we have for you today. Well, with no further um, comments from me, I will ask you maybe to just take us through, please. Thank you, Nick. On the historic records of the United States Supreme Court, there is registered one case of special note It is case number 32 U.S. 150 in the year of 1833. It is listed as United States versus George Wilson. The defendant, George Wilson, was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail in uh, Pennsylvania with aggravation and he was sentenced to death. Due to his friend's influence, Wilson was pardoned by uh, Andrew Jackson, himself a brilliant lawyer, but was now serving as the President of the United States. George Wilson, however, refused the clemency. The Supreme Court was thus asked to rule on the case. 
the decision was that if the prisoner does not accept the pardon, it is not in effect. The court entry reads, and I quote, a pardon is a deed to the validity of which delivery is essential and delivery is not complete without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tended. And if it is rejected, we have discovered no power in this court to force it upon him. End quotes. Therefore, George Wilson was subsequently hanged. You know, Nick and panel and listener, to me, it's inconceivable to distance oneself from an offer of such gravity and, and such consequence. Yet how true it is of many in the judicial records of the court of heaven. I think we do well to take a closer look at our standing before the mercy seat of God. But first, I think we should pray. Lydia, would you pray for us, please? Yes, sure. Glorious Father in heaven, thank you so much for this privilege to open your word for study again. Father, please bless us with your Holy Spirit, as we are discussing today about how God rescues us. Please, Father, guide us, lead us, direct us to understand better God's project in his mighty plan of salvation of people from this world of sin. Thank you so much for your permanent love and care for us. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Pamela, as an introduction to our study today, I would like to ask you to give us an overall sketch of what the Bible says about God's response to this earth's seemingly hopeless situation. How he rescues the world when it is, as I would like to call it, desperately dead. Say it in brief, we would have to say that God was proactive rather than being reactive. God had a plan in mind even before sin came into this world and that he himself will take the punishment of human beings in order to save us. Yeah, thank you, Lynn. That's right, Lynn. Yeah. Uh, God took the initiative. Left on our own, we would remain dead, if you like, but God does not leave us there. I'd like to read from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. You he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you were once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding great riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This passage uses the word dead, dead, that's right, to describe our state as a contrast to being made alive by and with and by Christ. To be dead in sin is to be in a state of moral and spiritual bondage and slaves to sin. It describes a state of alienation or separation from God. To be dead is to have no life, no power, no consciousness or awareness, no feeling. Sin and trespasses render one dead to the things of God. The Good News Translation puts it, In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your disobedience and sins. And the message, I like this one too, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it all of us in the same boat. So how we live our lives, will and panel, and the choices we make indicate whether we are spiritually growing or dying, and as Paul would say, whether we are dead or not. I agree with Joe totally in what she said. The word dead there, the Greek word is nekros, N-E-K-R-O-S. It means a dead body or a corpse. Now, a dead body can't respond to anything. It has no life. I think Paul is using an illustration here, as Joe said. He's comparing our spiritual life, which was dead. I think what he's trying to point out to the Ephesians is that in your previous life, under paganism and under whatever uh, system you were operating in, you didn't, you could not even respond to the grace of God. I think the important bit in all of these verses is that God takes the initiative and that it is God who places within us that desire to reach out to him because we can't work it up just as a dead body can't start breathing again unless it's resuscitated. So therefore the whole basis of the whole book and Ephesians, as you know, Will, is known as the Alps of the, of the gospels. And what Joe read is absolutely wonderful. God took the initiative before we reached out to him. And because of that initiative, all of these other things follow. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I think, Brenton, you've set the premise, and all of you have set the premise effectively um, of this idea of being dead, right? Um, when we're talking about being saved or being rescued, um, it, you guys remember the the the, the twelve uh, was it twelve Thai boys that were that were a few years ago? They were stuck and they couldn't get out. Now yes. they weren't dead, obviously, and they were rescued. And there's a sense of when we say rescue, you can't rescue yourself. That's why you need to be rescued. So for us, this is a key point in salvation in the, in basically the theology of Christianity that only God can save us. And as, you know, as Len mentioned, it's about being proactive. And uh, sometimes we forget that and we go, Oh, what can we do to save ourselves? What can we do to earn salvation, to earn God's favor? When at the end of the day, uh, what we do is a reflection of the fact that we have been saved, not to save ourselves. I think that's why it's God that rescues us, not what can we do to get rescued. Yes, Joe? 
I found a passage while I was doing some reading on this topic, and I'll, I'll read it if I may, and I, I think it portrays it very well. And it says, a dead man feels comfortable in his coffin, but if he were to be made alive again, he would instantly feel suffocated and uncomfortable. There would be a strong urge to escape the coffin and leave it behind. In the same way, when we were spiritually dead, we felt comfortable in trespasses and sins, but having come to new life, we feel we must escape that coffin and leave it behind. I can only imagine my own terror if I had, if I found myself alive in a coffin. I, I, I think we can all imagine that. It happened recently, Joe, in the media. <laughs> yes, so true. Ken, um, I wonder if you could turn to Ephesians 5, verse 14, and uh, make a few comments on that for us, please. Uh, reading from the New King James Version, very interesting comment here. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, we're not talking here about people that are sleeping. It's people in the world, but we're asleep because we don't know what's going on. And we've just, we've discussed the word dead and what that means. And here we're talking about, and Christ will give you light. I say this is God saying, although it is Paul who wrote it, that we, the people in this world, need to wake up and see what is going on around us. <clears throat> Arise from the dead, meaning if we don't change our ways, when judgment day comes, we will die because of our sins. And Christ will give you light, stroke, understanding, meaning we need to search the Bible and understand the big picture that is going all around us, that this is the battle between good and evil and the massive rescue plan that God has put in place for all those who will listen and follow Jesus. So true. Brenton, could you look at uh, Romans 5, chapter 17 for us? Yes, certainly, uh, Will. Um, I'm reading it now from the New Living Translation, for the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus. Paul is great at making comparisons. Some of his comparisons are easy to follow. Some are not so easy to follow. I think this one is pretty easy to follow. He's saying that death came to the human family because of Adam. But because of Christ's sacrifice, that situation on earth has been replaced by one where if you accept Christ, you start a new life. And he talks about this word grace. Well, I just want to read a statement. This, this is one of the most wonderful statements I've ever read on the subject of grace. We would never have learned the meaning of this word grace had we not fallen. God loves the sinless angels who do his service and are obedient to all his commands, but he does not give them grace. These heavenly beings know nothing of grace. They have never needed it, for they have never sinned. Grace is an attribute of God shown to undeserving human beings. We did not seek after it, but it was sent in search of us. God rejoices to bestow this grace on everyone who hungers for it, not because we are worthy, but because we are so utterly unworthy. Our need is the qualification which gives us the assurance that we will all receive this grace. Now, there's a, what Joe read, Will, is 
Verse 4 starts off with two key words, which I believe basically sum up the whole book of Ephesians. But God. We're going to come to that further down. But whenever I read that, I go, in the middle of all this mess that we're in, but God. Yeah, that's right. You know, when you were reading, when you were speaking there, Renton, it made me think of a hymn that says, uh, holy, holy, holy is what the angels sing. And I intend to help them make the courts of heaven ring. But when we tell redemption's story, angels fold their wings. Yes. Because angels never felt the joy that our salvation brings. Yes, a great hymn, isn't it? Yes, it is. Len, Ephesians 5 verse 6 also tells us about the results of being dead. Okay, let me read that particular verse, Ephesians 5, verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons or the people of disobedience. You know, when people choose to follow the way of the Lord, they live lives of righteousness, obedience and hope, and they live on a higher plane. Their ultimate destiny is to receive eternal life. But, you know, it's very interesting that their former worldly associates will usually try to get them to go back to their previous sinful and very often immoral lives, which Paul describes as being dead. All those arguments and philosophies about living it up are empty. The pleasure and self-gratification of such living does not bring about peace. There's always the need for more, more, more. And in the end, the result is futility and punishment. Those who don't live according to the high calling of Christ will be destroyed. They will suffer the wrath of God. And this reminds me of a man I once knew. He'd become an alcoholic. He suffered and his family suffered because of his drinking problem. Eventually, he went Alcoholics Anonymous and was able to stop drinking. His life and the lives of his family members completely turned around. Now there was harmony and happiness in the home. And after about eight years of sobriety, that means not drinking, he thought he had the drinking problem under control. Then, one night at a party, some of his former friends who were drunk urged him, come on, have a drink, one won't hurt you. They were very empty words. He succumbed and almost immediately fell back to being an alcoholic as before. When I met him, he had managed to quit drinking again, but he acknowledged that he needed to be on constant guard in case, like what happened at the party, he should fall back to his former life a life of emptiness, meaningless, and addiction. It's no wonder that at the end of Ephesians in chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand the wiles of the devil. The philosophies, ideas of this world are empty. What we learn from the Bible gives us hope, and those things give meaning, and i trust and pray that all of you who are listening will make it your business to follow the Lord where you'll have purpose and meaning to your life. 
my wonderful friend uh, listening today uh, uh, we would like to give you a gift today and we have that uh, book available uh, continue to to have it uh, available for you because uh, so many people requested it's uh, about uh, grace of god it's a daily devotional and uh, we'll invite you to send us a text message to 04-8209-888-3. The code for the book is SABS1. SA stands for South Australia, BS for Bible Study 1. Please send that text message. Don't leave any space in between... Uh, S-A-B-S-1, and our our friendly robot will take you through. Thank you, Nick. Now, we're studying the book of Ephesians, and what a book it has been. As uh, Brenton has said, it's uh, it's the Alps (laughs) of the study on salvation. You know, a careful uh, look at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5 reveals, interestingly, three phases, three key phases, in the progress from death to eternal life. Um, who would like to comment on those? I will do that. Thank Dr. you. Will. As we read in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. You know, when before knowing Christ and uh, surrender to him, we were dead in our sins. We disobeyed God, violated the moral and social ethics. Before we surrendered to the Holy Spirit's urging, our spirit were dead to the things of God. So they were not good in ourselves. Giving the example of Adam and Eve, the moment they transgressed God's law, their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked, as it says in Genesis 3-7. For the first time, they tested rebellion and awakened to the difference between good and evil. God applied plan B through the death of a perfect substitute, the sinner could live. So the plan of redemption, the ultimate sacrifice to atone for the sins of the world. So God made us alive together with Christ, saving us through through Jesus' grace. So when we respond to the Holy Spirit's calling, we repent of our sins and exercise faith in the Lord Jesus forgives our sins, crediting us with the righteousness of Jesus and sends the Holy Spirit to live in us, inside us. The new spiritual life transforms us from lifeless sin-filled corpses to vibrant living children of God. So God made us alive through Jesus Christ. Every human being in the world exists in one or two categories, spiritually dead or spiritually alive. Religion cannot make a dead man alive. Good works of ourselves 
or um, or hard efforts doesn't have a spiritual power to transform us from the inside out. Only Jesus Christ paid the highest price to redeem us from the bondage of Satan. Sin destroys, but surrender to Christ brings us out to life. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but we can be made alive through the blood of Jesus, our Lord, Savior and Redeemer. So by grace, you have been saved. Yes, and what a transformation it is. Brenton. Yeah, two things that Lydia uh, covered it very well. Um, two things. If you're dead, obviously there's no response, nothing that you can do. If you're alive, you've got two things that can happen. Number one, you can enjoy the fact that Christ has brought you to life. But number two, you can develop. Christ doesn't just want us to bring us to life. He wants us to develop back into his image again. That's right. You know, reflecting on the past lives of his hearers, that's the Ephesian people, Paul identifies two forces that militate against growth in the Christian life. Of these two forces, one is external and the other one is internal. Let's take them one by one. Let's look at the external forces working against us first. Len, uh, what could these be? Okay. Well, uh, we've all experienced this. And uh, the first as Paul identifies in Ephesians 2, 2, is the ways of this world or the influences of this world. And that's the culture in which we live, the practices that people have, will influence a person to become, well, how can I put it, sinful. And then there's another force or another influence, which is a supernatural force, Described various ways. One way is as the arch deceiver. Well, who's the arch deceiver? It's the devil. Let me read from Revelation 12 verse 9. That great dragon was held down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan. Here's the punchline. Who leads the whole world astray. So people are being influenced by those and the practices who live around them, besides the supernatural forces of Satan and his demons, who are only interested in drawing people away, not toward Christ. They are the two forces, external forces, practices in the world around us and supernatural force of Satan and his demons. I I think that there would be so many external influences, Len, you've answered that well. And um, I think some of the external forces in modern times are even more hard to resist than uh, than in earlier years. I think of the pressure of uh, social media, radio, television. These external forces do misshape human life into rebellion against God. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head, Will, because... In this day and age, I think one of the the most dangerous things that that are happening around the world is is um, the 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 deceit 
that comes under the guise of good. Now, if the devil appear with its horns and its ugliness and its tail, you know, the, the traditional picture of the scary devil, uh, most people would just go, nah, that's not for me, right? Uh, I mean, there are people who would, who would fall for that. But as you mentioned, Will, you know, with social media, there are all these things that are supposedly not bad, so to speak, um, but just are inherently evil and draws us away from God. And, and that's probably the most dangerous thing. Um, when you don't know that something is bad and we think it's actually okay. I mean, you look at, you know, the media, you look at not just social media, but just the media in general. You look at what young people are watching on, um, and old people and, and everyone else in between is watching on TV and on, and, and in the movies these days. It's, it's quite a scary thought if you think about this, which is why we need to focus and emphasize, um, on God and, and what he's done for us. And as a result of that, our natural action is to ref- is to basically go, yep, God, that's what you want me to do because of what you've done for me. Yeah, that's so true. And those influences are so multiple, so many. Just as Jane, dangerous as those outside influences on us, there are those internal forces. And here, too, there are many. Panel, what could we say about the internal forces with which we struggle? Joe? Well, I would say that maybe some of the internal forces um, could be at times more dangerous than, than external forces because they are a part of us. It is a part of our being and our thinking, something within us which responds to sin, and we could be betrayed from within. I'd like to read Ephesians 2, 3. All of us also lived among them and in brackets, the disobedient, at one time gratifying the cravings of our flesh, following its desires and thoughts. See, it's it's an internal thing, isn't it? Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. The internal forces, I would say, are those urges and propensities or inclinations um, that we might have even been born with or have developed with time and practice. And they appear to be hardwired, into us and a part of us. So some would say that it is impossible to change these so-called internal forces. So, you know, unchecked, uh, we would be living to gratify the flesh um, or the corrupt nature, and it can be overwhelming when those two forces work together, the external and internal, because it completely undermines the person that's wishing to change, wanting to turn over a new leaf. But there is hope. There is hope. <laughs> Yes, my dear friend, uh, today we are uh, learning uh, how important it is to understand how God rescues us. We have a great uh, devotional for you today, God's Amazing Grace. Please send us a text message with the code SABS1. The number is 0482 we encourage you to send us a text message with this code and receive this wonderful devotion for you. Well, the uh, the present reality of a lost life is distressing enough, but its last day implications are more frightening still. As human beings, being by nature the children of wrath like the rest of mankind, as we're told in Ephesians 2 verse 3, we all stand under the threat of God's judgment at the end of time. Just want to read a little phrase here from one of her books. 
By nature, children of wrath point to another daunting reality as well. While still bearers of the image of God, we have come to understand that there's something deeply away in us. Living the Christian life, then, is not just a matter of conquering a bad habit or two or overcoming whatever trespasses and sins, as Ephesians 2 1 says, are currently threatening. We do not just contend with sins, but with sin. We are bent towards rebellion against God and towards self-destruction. Human beings, by default, are caught in a pattern of self-destructive, sinful behavior, following the dictates of Satan, as we're told in Ephesians 2, 2, and our own innate sinful desires, Ephesians 2, 3. Believers were once by nature the children of wrath. I find it such an interesting comment that Joseph said a moment ago about being hardwired, perhaps from birth. And I think of us perhaps as we are in a way an operating system, perhaps like a computer, but we're totally being attacked by viruses and these viruses can cause all sorts of trouble in our life. But we have to stick close to Jesus and and really concentrate and fight these or fight these viruses off. And it is a struggle at times, there's no doubt about it. Uh, we really have to keep our guard up and as Nick mentioned earlier on, put on the full armor of God. I, I notice um, something interesting is that Paul changes the form of the address from ye in verse 1 to we in verse 3, thus mm-hmm. including himself with others mm-hmm. and saying that this is true of all. This is not just, you know, the good and the bad. It's We're all in the same boat, um, that we are all the same before our conversion. It doesn't matter where you might have been born or the differences of the religion that you were brought up with. Um, substantially, we are all alike in nature. I'd like to just add to what Joe said because she's hit the nail on the head there. He is including himself. But then if you look at some of Paul's other epistles, you remember in one of his epistles, he says that according to the law, I was faultless. I think blameless is the term that is used. So it seems to me that this sin problem affects affects those who outwardly appear to be good, as well as those who are not good at all. They don't appear good outwardly. What this tells me is that you've you've got a problem here that can only be resolved by an external force. It can only be resolved by a supernatural power changing uh, the whole thing. I think part of it, Will, is uh, you remember Romans 12 too, where it says, um, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I believe that's where it starts. The transformation takes place when the Holy Spirit changes, um, shall we say, the direction that our life is going in once that change begins um, then growth is possible but until that change takes place we're still dead dead in trespasses and sins well yesterday i was in the cbd of adelaide and i was waiting for a bus because to go in the city it's much easier to go by bus anyhow while i was waiting at the bus stop somebody with a very loud voice came out of a shop and said, Jesus doesn't love me. Well, I didn't talk to him because I thought he was a bit off his head. 
But I thought to myself, how do you know that? He, he loves you, but you've made certain choices which um, place you in the position that you think you're in now. Christ loves us all. But, of course, it's a matter of choice and response to that love. Yes. You know, talking about uh, spiritual death and the struggles that we have within us, there's an interesting text in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, that tells us that uh, how hard it is to um, function or how much help we need behind the mask that um, we carry or we wear. Lydia, you want to cover that that section for us, Romans 7, verses 15 to 20. Yes, I will read from NIV version. I do not understand what I do or what I want to do. I do not do but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on going. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. <laughs> this is a very, it's a, a, a passage uh, that gives us the first handout of the battle between the new nature and the sin, sinful flesh uh, within the, the Apostle Paul. Actually, he writes this um, statement as he was in Corinth in the mid-50 AD uh, with the help of his secretary, Tertius, who adds his own greetings in Romans 16.22. Paul writes these verses as a mature believing believer in Christ. So Paul's own life demonstrates that this struggle with our sinful flesh never goes away while we are on this earth. He is in a fight for holiness like every one of us. He is warning against trying to live a godly life holy life on our own accord. When we do this, we are setting ourselves up for failure because the same principle of the previous sin nature and condemnation of law applies. This describes the uh, lack of uh, the ability not to sin. It says that I have the desire to do what is right, but not the, the ability to carry it out. I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. This actually relates to all of us who desire for a spiritual growth. Actually, we cannot achieve doing good on our own power and strength without the holy power of the Holy Spirit because we are sinful beings. 
having sinful nature. This is an example of Christian battle, a rentless battle between our new man in Christ and our old sinful flesh. It's diametrically opposed and hostile against one another. It's the battle within us that is real. It's intense. It's ongoing, internal, spiritual, and found within all the believers who want to grow in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, I think this is such an interesting statement from Paul, one of the greatest apostles and picked by Jesus to do many great works. But even he struggled with doing good all the time because we are all tempted with the sin of Adam. We are all rebellious towards God by our nature, Romans chapter 3 and verses 10 to 12. And again, this is Paul speaking. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Also mentioned in Psalm 53 and verse 1, our nature as normal men, women, is to do our own thing and go against God. And it's a constant struggle. Joe? Without Christ, just after what Lydia read, without Christ, the best that we could accomplish is, we might remember, whited sepulchres, beautiful on the outside but full of dead bones. And we might remember that whited sepulchres, Jesus referred to the leaders of Israel as whited sepulchres. It's only death and decay and only Christ can change us from inside out. So true. You know, it, it reminds me of the uh, the Valley of Dead Bones, uh, quite a devastated place that was. And yet there was hope not for individuals, but for hundreds and thousands of people in that valley. So God has a plan, uh, amazing plan, all encompassing to raise as many as possible to eternal life. And I think it's something that we as Christians love to talk about. Brenton, I see you're burning to say something on this topic. Um, this word, but God, suggests that the direction we were going in, God has stepped in supernaturally and he has changed the whole current. He has changed uh, what was just a downward spiral into an upward journey. And um, it says, who is rich in mercy? Some of the interesting things that come out of the study that we're doing, Will, are these. By Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and can I say this, in participating in Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we are actually talking about the symbol of baptism because in baptism you were buried with under the water and you were raised to a new life. And Paul talks about that in Romans 6 verse 4. He talks about how we are raised with him. I believe that the Bible gives us enough clues that if we are seated at the right hand of God with Christ, we are, in a sense, trophies. We are evidences to the angels who have not fallen. We are evidences to the unfallen worlds who have not fallen. We are also evidence here on this earth to sinners who choose not to accept Jesus. I believe that uh, this is a vitally important thing. We have to accept this mercy. It's freely given. It's boundless. 
but you don't have to accept it. Just as you said in your story at the beginning of our study today, this man chose not to accept pardon. If you choose not to accept it, God can't do anything about it. Above all, God is a gentleman. He allows you to make your own decisions and he respects those decisions. So I think this, this word, but God, he, he, he's saying, okay, all the downward spiral is over. Now we're on a different course. And this is available to everyone who chooses to say yes and receive God's grace. And what do you do by receiving God's grace? You follow him fully in everything. You are obedient to him in everything. And I would urge our, um, those who are listening to this program, if you've never considered being baptized, I think the symbolism of baptism is very powerful in what we're studying here. I would urge you to seek someone out and talk to them about this particular issue. Most certainly. We notice that in Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7, and you just touched on it there, uh, Brenton, uh, it talks about participating in Christ's resurrection, ascension, and exaltation. Uh, In what sense is this true? Well, some of what I said uh, previously is certainly relevant in that. Uh, The Greek word for um, is suzerio, It's to make her live together. Now, I've often wondered, how can you be seated at God's right hand? Physically, we are down here on this earth. Christ is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. Uh, In what sense, then? It must be a spiritual sense. Because the deadness that we were suffering from is gone, and we are now alive, when Christ rose from the dead, what did he do? He went back to heaven. And he is now seated at the right hand of God, seating at the right hand of God, meaning that anybody who's seated at the right hand of someone is all-powerful. They're omnipotent. They're able to do whatever they wish. And he told us that in Matthew 28 when he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. I, I think Paul is trying to get their focus off the fact, guys, what you came out of and what's available to you now, there is just no comparison. What you were doing before, you were just headed to eternal death. What's happening now is you're actually seated metaphorically at the right hand of of God in heaven. You're participating in the things of heaven. And I think this is an interesting point, Will. We often talk about when we accept Jesus, heaven begins here on earth. Well, the atmosphere of heaven can come into a believer's heart. I believe, when they accept Jesus, the atmosphere of heaven. And I believe that's part of what it says, uh, where it talks about us being exalted. But we also need to think of another point that the lesson, uh, the study rather, hasn't um, touched on. And that is when Christ returned to heaven, he took back a whole heap of people who had been resurrected from the dead. We know that from the book of Revelation. Now, these people also are trophies. They're evidences of Christ's power to raise from the dead literally, also Christ's power to raise them from the dead spiritually. And now they're seated with him on his throne, and one day soon we'll have the privilege as well. Yes. So the plan of redemption has existed since before the world began. God's plan, though, doesn't end with a graceful past and a mercy based present. It stretches into the future, including the forever coming ages. 
Len, could you try and explain this for us? Well, I'm going to explain it in an unusual way. <laughs> for a short and unfortunate period of my life, I was involved in opal mining. And it was a very costly exercise, both financially and time-wise. At the end of it all, I didn't have much to show. And I liken this to the plan of redemption that Jesus died for our sins. And at the end, he will have something to show. Throughout the vast ages of eternity, Jesus will have those who've been saved from sin on this earth for whom he died as his trophies. He can demonstrate to the universe his grace by showing um, those who've accepted that grace. I'll read a little quote from the book Desire of Ages. Our little world is the lesson book of the universe God's wonderful purpose of grace, the mystery of redeeming love is the theme into which angels desire to look, and it will be their study through endless ages. Both the redeemed and the unfallen beings will find in the cross of Christ their science and their song. It will be seen that the glory shining in the face of Jesus is the glory of self-sacrificing love. Nick. Yes, I just want to add there what Len was saying in um, sharing his story with uh, Opal Mining. Len, maybe you didn't dig deep enough. <laughs> but uh, I am just wanted to say here that uh, God's grace, it's available. It doesn't matter how many times you are disappointed or you you fall. Please come back and receive the grace of God. We have this wonderful devotional uh, to give to you today, my dear friend listening. It's called God's Amazing Grace. Please send us a text message with the code SABS1. The number is 048209. I think it's vitally important for us to remind ourselves that there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that we can bring to merit this sort of redemption. Uh, Brenton, what do you say about that? I would agree wholeheartedly, uh, Will. If there's ever a book of the New Testament that shows us that human works have nothing to do with our acceptance of salvation, they're the fruit of our salvation. I think these texts are the ones that that actually do it. Paul's actually telling them in pretty simple language. He couldn't make it much clearer. This is what you were like before. This is what you're like now because but God. But God stepped in. He poured out on you his amazing grace. I think there's another point, Will, (laughs) that we need to remember when we're dealing with this subject of grace. Grace is not a finite quality or a finite quantity. Grace is unlimited, but grace abused, and that's what our study today also touches on in a couple of places. We must not abuse God's grace, even though it's boundless and it's unlimited and it's available for everyone. 
abusing God's grace leaves you with the situation that you're in before. So if you want to be rescued, accept God's grace, um, accept his will for your life. If you want to remain in your sins and you continue downward course, well, you can do that too. So I think these verses in Ephesians 2, this is why Paul reinforces it in verse 5 and why he reinforces it in verse 8. By grace, you have been saved. It's almost like a parenthetical afterthought in verse 5, but it's very, very clear in verse 8. By grace, you've been saved, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. But like any gift will, it has to be accepted. It has to be received and used. Mm. God does not leave us in this impossible situation. In the cycle of sin, hurting ourselves and others and continuing this way until the day we die. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave himself so that we would have a chance of escape from this destructive way of life, which would only end in oblivion. He intended that we would find him should we look for him or reach out for him. Now, Hosea's got a beautiful portrayal of this, and it's in Hosea 11.4. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Here God tells us how lovingly he watches over each and every one with the tenderness of a parent. Let us say yes to him. Let's ask for a new living heart that desires goodness and God. Let us ask God to make us alive and raise us up to be with him for eternity. Paul writes in Corinthians, but as it is written, what no eye has seen nor ear heard. I think we all know that one, nor the human heart conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. We no longer need to be the children of wrath, separated from God and life. The way has been prepared. And I think, Len, you actually put that very well. And it has been since the before the foundation of the world. Yeah. Is anything coming in between you and God worth it? Yeah, nothing, nothing should be between us and the Saviour. Panel and listener, I'm sure you would agree that this splendid invitation of the Saviour is too amazing to resist, too expensive to ignore. As we end this study, let us pause with a submissive attitude, asking God to help us, help us to focus on how we might be part of his eternal future. And I'm going to ask Joe to offer a prayer for us all in this regard. Okay. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Yeah. We can't even imagine what it cost heaven to make things right. Please give us insight into our own state that we are as good as dead without you. All our good works, our efforts, our achievements might look like life to other dead people, but they have no power to change, no power to transform us from the inside out. We cannot help ourselves, but you can, and you are very willing if we ask you to give us your spirit. Thank you for what has been done to save us from death, evil, sin. Please be with each and every panel member and listener. Please awaken and create a new heart in us that we may truly be alive in you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thank you, everyone, for your participation today. Indeed, a very uh, important, wonderful uh, study. 
we looked at uh, today, how God rescues us. You know, uh, we mentioned during the program a few times that uh, we are in that position of not being able to do anything for ourselves. Our only hope, it's in our rescuer, which is God. And he's available. And we know that he is able to rescue us. It's not only maybe. He had everything put in plan that we may be saved in him through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to comment and add to this program some more value, my dear friend, don't hesitate to send us a text message with your thoughts, your comments, and we'll be very happy to share that. The number where you can send the text message is 0482093883. On the same number, we are very happy to share with you a wonderful devotional, the book God's Amazing Grace. Send us a text message with the code SABS1. Our next uh, Bible study is entitled Horizontal Atonement, the Cross and the Church. Please join us again. Until next time, walk safely in the footsteps of Jesus.